Hey friends, welcome to Naked in Truth, the podcast that's designed to open up your mind, to help you break down walls and barriers in your life that you might not even know exist yet. But don't worry, every wall that we break down together on this podcast allows you the opportunity to level up and create your impact. With that being said, I think it's time for us to get honest, vulnerable, and naked in truth. Well, hello, 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 and welcome back hello. to the Naked in Truth podcast. It is me, Sari D, and I am back this week with a very special guest. Guys, I have Shannon Ferguson here, who is a hypnotherapist, NLP certified, EFT certified, time techniques, and is here to be your success and life coach. Shannon, do you want to say hey to everybody? Hello, everyone. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Sari. <laughs> You're so welcome, girl. I'm so pumped to have you. And what's so funny is that so we actually came across each other's pages on Instagram and she ended up finding me through the hashtag Vancouver, Vancouver. <laughs> which is so wild because you wonder if the hashtags work sometimes. So we know that they definitely do work. And what brought us so close together is there is a lot of our story that really correlates with each other. And that's where I think that Shannon and I were able to really develop this friendship quickly is we went through a lot in our younger years that grew us into who we are today. And that's why I brought Shannon onto the podcast today is I want to tell her story because guys, like I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it and how much <laughs> this woman has grown. So Shannon, what we want to do is we want to take this story right from the beginning because we chatted a little bit beforehand and I know that growing up wasn't exactly the easiest for you. Is that right? Yeah, it was, it was definitely challenging to say the least. <laughs> so I'd yeah. love to know what did your childhood home life look like um, when mm. it came to, you know, you were getting in school, making friends, maybe you had some family members around you. What did that look like? Yeah. So my home life, um, we moved around a fair bit. We definitely weren't very, um, financially well off and my parents were busy a lot working okay. um, and there was a, fa a fair bit of, of tension at home and school was I, I did not do well in school I didn't apply myself I didn't even think I was intelligent so wow. I just um, yeah I, I didn't do well I wouldn't do my homework I just didn't believe in myself or see any reason in really applying myself at all um, and yeah my <laughs> my grades weren't good and I just yeah. thought for my whole life, I thought I was just going to be struggling and and wouldn't be successful. And I just thought back then that life was no promise on it to suffer. Yeah, yeah and that there was that that joy and happiness and success is for other people. There's no way I could ever have it. And that was what I believed from very early on. I don't know exactly where I picked it up. Well, and that's I what I was going to ask so, next, yeah. because that's a big belief system, like to be young at that age to be, you know, like, it sounds like right when you started school, you really didn't believe that you were going to amount to anybody. And that life was just expected to be a struggle. And I think that sometimes subliminally without even realizing it when we're watching our parents struggle and if we're not seeing mm -hmm. happiness and you know and it's just always this constant tension or stress or there's not enough money 
it creates this fear that this is what life looks like, right? And that mm-hmm. it's only going to be hard. So now when it comes, like I know myself, like not believing in myself, not loving myself the way that I should have as a kid, you know, it made me reach for love in the wrong ways. And I I, I think that you were a lot the same as I was in those young preteen years when it came to running away, looking for guys love. And I want to know when that story really started for you and what it looked like. Yeah, so um, I was I'm in about grade nine, and I became really close friends with a girl who was kind of going down a little bit of a sideways path. And mm-hmm. I was the super I grew up super like religious, and I was like I was a good girl, and and oh, well, according to my parents, I thought I, I needed to be. And I was like, wow, whatever she's doing seems really interesting. And mm-hmm. I ended up starting to to skip school with her because I was like, what's the point in even going to class? (laughs) I ended up like failing gym class because I was just never there. And um, yeah, she was skipping school, drinking, doing drugs. And and at 14, I I had my first drink and I was, I I went from in that moment being super socially awkward and shy to laughing and feeling uninhibited for the first time in my life. And it was so quick that I was, I was wanting to do anything I could to get more and which meant hanging around the same people on and on. And yeah, it just went down a really slippery slope really fast. Alcohol really gave you the confidence and assurance that, that you were the person that you needed to be because without it, you were confused. You felt like life sucked. But I didn't now, know what to say to people. Yeah, <laughs> I was so quiet and shy, and now you, now I can't shut up most of the time. But <laughs> that's good. We love that aspect of you now, right? So yeah. when you're looking at those teen years, like, did your parents know that you were out doing these things? Were you having to hide them from them? What did that look like? Yeah, so they knew because the first time I went out and drank, I skipped school and I didn't come home till the next day. Oh my <laughs> and gosh. My parents that I was asked all the questions and yeah. I let them know what I had done and clearly they weren't happy with me and yeah. I mean understandably and they were concerned, right? And and they they cared about me. They wanted the best for me. They did the best they could with what they knew, but I was just yeah, I was just doing <laughs> whatever I could to not feel shy and and yeah. escape be able to escape my mind and my life <laughs> well and you know anybody who does have preteens right now uh, that is such a tough age and I, I swear to god I still haven't had kids just for that fact like, <laughs> right I don't know if I can handle 2.0 I, I right? <laughs> yeah yeah so my mom said she's like you're gonna have car- your karma you're gonna have a kid that's like just like you or something she said something like that I was like okay never <laughs> yeah it's not happening I vow then, to right? never <laughs> well I don't know how they dealt with me but they did the best they could and I appreciate it so And that's the thing is that they were, they were showing their love. And in that moment, when you came home and you told them the truth, they still showed their love to you. And like you said, they were concerned, but it wasn't enough to, to hold you together because you were feeling so shitty inside. So Mm -hmm. even, so after that conversation, where did you keep going after that? I just, yeah, I, I I kept, I kept skipping school. Honestly, I, I didn't stop. And um, it was actually a, a short time after that that I did end up in, in foster care just due to some family stuff. Again, they did the best they could with what they knew, but uh, and they were just repeating generational patterns, right? Yeah. So I ended up getting taken out of the home for a while, and 
actually about a month after I first started drinking and I was like okay sweet I have no parents to even like worry about me or tell me what to do um and I just yeah I barely even went to school after that and I just kept hanging out with much older men and who would give me alcohol <laughs> so what so what did foster care look like for you were you in a home with another set of parents like wh- were you just in a group yeah home? what did that look so, like so Um, I was at first taken into a home with a bunch of other kids my age, um, and they had kind of staff that circulated around and they were, it was a temporary place until they found a more stable or solid longer term foster home. And I, after about a week in that group home, I ended up going to a foster home with another foster sister and brother, and she didn't really pay attention to us I mean she let us she let us come in the house uh let me come in the house gave me my bus pass and then um just kind of let me know how things worked around there and then closed I was in the basement and then she closed the door that went from the basement to the upstairs and I wanted to go upstairs thinking I was allowed in the rest of the home and it was locked and it turned out that I just wasn't welcome upstairs I was just stuck in my room and I, and so it was I wasn't there very much either so I just Holy kept hanging out with that guy who was that. giving me alcohol <laughs> I was like great my mind alone so, at this moment so like literally now you were like again so obviously even though you knew your parents loved you it was hard of everything that you went through going into that foster home and like at that age you're fucking confused you don't know you don't understand life the way that we understand it now right mm-hmm. and everything at that age is in the moment right you're, you're not thinking much into the future It's all about right now and And all the emotions. (laughs) Yeah. And all the emotions. And then you get put in this new house and like, I can't even imagine that feeling of your stomach sinking when you went to go and open that door and having it be locked. And you're like, I guess this is it. This is where I look after me. This is where it's Mm -hmm. up to me. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, it was, it was really emotional. I think I just sat in my room and and cried (laughs) a fair bit. Yeah. And rightfully so. And so, you know, it's, it's really hard in those moments when you're not getting the love and attention from home, because, you know, at that age, it should still be like, you get home, they ask you how your day's going, you guys enjoy dinner together, you know, like, that's the scenario that we assume so many people are going through. And, and, and that's not the truth. And so mm-hmm. that's where I feel like when we have broken families, or we have family chains that don't get uh, broken going into the next generation, that we run into so many of these things where, you know, now all of a sudden, a child's lost, and they're now looking for love in all the wrong ways, because you started to bring up now, Okay, so you realized older guys can now get you alcohol. And if I'm guessing, you probably felt like, you know, hooking up with these older guys is also going to be able to allow you to be able to keep them happy, to keep you happy with the alcohol. Am I right? Yeah, true. And the thing is, actually, the first night I drank, I ended up losing my virginity. I was taken advantage of for my first time. No. I ever had sex. And like, so I ended up telling my dad about that when I got home. Because oh. he asked me, he's like, were you out having sex? And I was like, well, not happened. on purpose. And I didn't even know what was going on at first. And then I realized and I was like crying. So, but then part of me, because of my religious upbringing, I was like, well, I need to stay with this person. Yeah. And, and yeah, I just kept hanging out with him and he kept getting me alcohol every time. And he knew I would just keep doing what he wanted if I kept getting alcohol. So it just, I was addicted to, to that. I was addicted Absolutely. really fast. Yeah. So yeah. When- and I. I felt like it was my job to make him happy because mm-hmm. he was 
buying alcohol for Looking me. Like, I owed you. him. Right. Yeah, I owed him. And of course. I, I, well, yeah, I was just, I didn't enjoy it. I was really uncomfortable in my skin. And yeah, that was... Not I think fun. that, you know, I think it can happen to, to men as well, but obviously women very much so where we feel this need of fulfillment that we need to give to men. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's like, we almost forget that it's supposed to be a partnership, that it's supposed to be even, that it's supposed to be mutual, that it's, you know, all of these things where, you know, you just give a hundred percent of yourself to this person in all the wrong ways and lose so much of yourself along the way. Mm-hmm. And I know that because I was that person too. And so yeah, how long were you in foster care for and what did this story continue on? Like, Mm-hmm. So I was in foster care for, I would say around, oh, I'm thinking like six to nine months. I can't even remember now. <laughs> I was drinking so much back then, but my family had some counseling while I was in there. So I did end up going back home after a while. I mean, there was still some tension at home, but there wasn't the the more physical altercations yeah. that had been happening. For sure. Um, but I, yeah, it was just... I eventually, when I was 15, actually, I was 15, and then I ended up trying, um, getting talked into um, trying ecstasy for the first time, and then I was taken advantage of that night as well, and ended up in the hospital at psychosis, and it was just, it was years of, it was just, it's a little bit of a blur, I'm trying to remember the sequence of everything happening, but it was just, I did not want to be present at that time in my life. And I wasn't as much as possible. It was just like, and I think I wanted to escape. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's what suppresses the memories as well is not wanting to relive it and not wanting to be there. And when you're at such a destructive yeah. point in your life, it's really easy for those memories to be included. So like no judgment mm-hmm. there whatsoever. And and I just want to stop and, and say, you know, I'm, I'm genuinely so sorry that you had to go through everything that you did. And, you know, I know it's a happy ending and we're going to get to that point, but you know, <laughs> the biggest thing is, is that nobody, nobody should have to go through these things to become strong. Mm-hmm. Do they make you strong? Absolutely. But nobody should have to go through these things. And that's where, you know, when I, when I apologize to the clients that I have on that are um, telling their story and they're like, don't feel sorry for me. It's, it's where I am now. And it's like, no, I don't feel sorry for you, but genuinely you shouldn't have had to build your strength like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so totally. that's what I'm always saying when I, when I'm, when I'm saying those things. So now that we're starting to get into 16, 17, like, did you start driving? Did that give you freedom, more freedom? Or where were you in those couple of years coming up to graduation? Yeah, so I actually, um, I didn't end up getting my license. uh, Because for so many of those years, I was like, well, what's the point? I'm just drunk all the time. And there's no point. And I didn't, I didn't have the money. I couldn't even keep a job because any job I'd have, I'd get fired from. I'd be showing up hungover or drinking on the job, (laughs) doing drugs on the job. Yeah. yeah. So it was was an interesting time of life. Um, Yeah. So I, I didn't end up getting, I didn't end up getting my license and I, I dropped out of high school. I finished grade 10. And that weighed on me for quite some time, too, because I felt like I needed that education in order to be intelligent. And that's been this thing weighing on me for many years of my life until I realized that some of the most successful people haven't even graduated. They finished like grade nine, (laughs) but they gained a lot of life skills and they've 
they've learned to hire people who are well versed in the same math. <laughs> I'm not very good at math, but different areas that yeah. that they aren't as skilled in. And I know that I've become a rather intelligent human being. <laughs> yes. So I I ended up <laughs> I ended up finding out that I could. Um, uh, study all the things that I've just recently studied without having graduated high school and actually follow my purpose and passion, which was very exciting for me. So, oh, I'm so, <laughs> I, I love that so much. And you know, like, yeah. I really believe that that in and of itself, because so you dropped out because you have mm-hmm. this one side of you that's like, I don't give a fuck. But then you have the <laughs> yeah. other side of you that's like, shit, like, I'm, I never believed that I was intelligent. Dropping out now means that I'm never going to be intelligent, right? And you still mm-hmm. have that little bit eating you away. But I know what it's mm-hmm. like when you're lost in the scene and you just, you just want this rush off of life because you feel so shitty about yourself that you just want to be able to get something more. And that's why so many people go to drugs and alcohol. And so, okay, so we're, we're dropping out. We know that you drink mm-hmm. a lot, but what's your current favorite drug of choice at this time? At this time, uh, drug of choice, learning, <laughs> no, reading. Not, not now, but back in, back oh. when it would have been around 17. <laughs> okay, okay, well, I, okay, okay. Yeah, learning wasn't back then, wasn't yeah. my favorite thing. Uh, we didn't get high um, off so, of that education. <laughs> so it was alcohol consistently, but I was doing um, ecstasy, cocaine. There was times that I was doing crystal meth. Um, and I that had a, a boat before I actually got clean that I was doing painkillers because the hospital yeah. gave me some painkillers. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> so, yeah, and yeah it was a lot of lot of hard drugs for a while there but alcohol was always my number one it was wake up in the morning and drink all through the day and wow as much as possible yeah um wine for breakfast (laughs) well that's the thing right yeah gotta start your day off fresh but Mm. like I it, it genuinely worries me that they don't do any type of background check to see if you're an addict before they give you like oxy you know all of these like literally I got my wisdom teeth removed at 18 and mm-hmm. they wanted to give me oxys. And I'm like, do you want to wreck my fucking life at 18? You have no <laughs> right? idea that I'm an addict. Like, are you uh-huh. shitting? That could have been the rest of my adulthood gone. But Absolutely. thank God I've seen people go through it. And I even when I was on oxys for the short amount of time, like you should have seen the withdrawal when I came off of it. I was flailing myself on the ground like it was absolutely disgusting. And that was days mm-hmm. of taking it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, you know, I, I totally understand why it's like, you're in, you're in the the hospital and it's like, okay, this feels kind of good. Oh, you're going to give me a prescription. All right. We're going to keep taking Uh, this. Right. I was like, oh, I'm in more pain. Can I have some more? (laughs) Well, and then in my opinion as well, uh, there needs to be a system in Canada where you can pull everybody's medical history. If you're a pharmacist, if you're a doctor, like give me a fucking break that, that there's like, client privilege there. You know what I mean? Like, it's like what's happening is people are going to multiple different doctors and pulling these meds saying I'm in pain, I'm whatever. And they're doing it and they're having multiple pharmacists. And it's just, anyways, there's so many ways that we could stop this, but I just needed to throw that bad boy in there. So, so (laughs) did you have any long-term side effects from how hard you were drinking? Because like, man, that, that is intense. Uh, I would say I had more side effects from like the cocaine and ecstasy that really messed with my brain chemistry. I already was prone to anxiety and depression and I felt just 
all over the place. Honestly, mm-hmm. I did You're not so feel funny. stable in any way with my emotions. Yeah. Um, I had so many, so much time of just feeling hollow and empty. Sometimes of feeling like suicidal and or angry. I felt a lot of anger, anger. for a lot of years, and I feel like a lot. Actually, alcohol did amplify my anger. I, but I learned that anxiety can manifest in anger, and and. I was, I had so much I was holding in that I hadn't processed that mm-hmm. I just, I was so angry for, for quite a long time. I didn't even know. <laughs> and it wasn't until the last like year or two that I, that actually began to subside. I thought I was just an angry person forever. So that was, that was definitely um, the, the worst um, side effect I would say was, was the anger, the anger so, that I felt and a lot of depression. And a lot of depression. Okay. So when mm-hmm. it comes to the, um, uh, Sorry, I missed my question there. That's okay. <laughs> okay. Um, but so then, so then now that you were growing through those years, now you're on your own, you decided to, to quit school. I'm assuming you're no longer living at home at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So where, where I actually, I went from guy's house to guy's house to guy's house. I actually, I left that original man that took advantage of me. After I would say when I was like 15 and I was still in, in, in foster care, um, my mom actually, we ran into him and she saw his license plate and found out he was actually like 38 when he told me he was 25. <gasps> um, so I ended up, yeah, my mom gave his license plate to the social worker. I was like 14 when I lost my at uh, Virginia. Oh my God. And yeah. So I, I ended up leaving him for a time and then it was like, I was just meeting all sorts of different guys through that friend who were, who were in their twenties and thirties and I'd move in with one, then I'd move in with another, then I'd hang out with somebody else and meet somebody else. I was just moving around all the time and hanging around different men who treated me like garbage just so that they would give me alcohol. So I think I left home around like six, or so 17 and then just was jumping all over the place with different guys and then for a while I ended up going back to that guy that original one when I was 18 he had convinced me he changed and I was like okay well he's the original one I was with so I should be with him and then and then it became violent then it was like Mm -hmm. violence and I was stuck living with him until I was about uh, 19 so 18 to 19 I was living so he pretty much owned you in that year Oh yeah. He had me convinced that I would be killed if I left, that he had like a swarm of ex-girlfriends that were willing to come after me if I dared leave. And, and he was so abusive with me and I ended up (laughs) being willing to risk being killed. I ended up packing my bags and leaving Uh, when he was at work one day, I just got the fuck out. And it turned out he was bluffing. But back then I was so brainwashed that I didn't oh, realize that she was so full of shit. Man, nobody can so. make a good decision when they're scared. The, yeah. the best way to control somebody is to make them fearful and they will never know oh. what to do. But all I can say is in that mm-hmm. moment, you obviously told yourself that nothing can be fucking worse than going through this. Mm-hmm. I will risk death 
to get mm-hmm. out of this. Like that, Absolutely. like the severity of that is so intense. And I'm again, like, I, I can't believe that you went through something like that. And I want to know too. So like my other question came back now of <laughs> who were you when you drank? Everybody's got a little bit of a personality that comes mm-hmm. out. And, you know, I was never angry. I was never really emotional, but I was a big slut. Well, I was, well, I was drinking and that's oh, yeah. why alcohol that never really of- worked good for me because <laughs> all my clothes came <laughs> off. So <laughs> That was part of it for me too, for sure. But um, yeah, so the first night, I mean, I was giggly and happy and I was like, this is great. But then I found that I would just sit and listen to sad songs a lot of the time and mm-hmm. cry and cry and like self-harm. Yeah, and I've been there too. I, a lot of, a lot of crying and I would just sit and feel sorry for myself. And so I wasn't really processing anything. I was just, I didn't know that I could think about anything positive or steer my focus. It was just like thinking about everything that had gone wrong in my life and how much I hated myself and that I had, yeah. Uh, and then bouts of anger too. God forbid a guy that I was with who was probably also a very angry person. A lot of them were, yeah. Um, if they get angry or like I get angry first and there was a lot of fighting, a lot of, of breaking things, kicking in doors. <laughs> it was, I was, yeah, it was people like, I can't imagine you mad. I'm like, oh, you have no idea. how, we, how we That's exactly. Be. Well, yeah. you know, like, but at the same time too, when you can't process those emotions and I think it's, it's the same for me as well, that it's like, as soon as I would drink by myself, it was just destruction absolute Mm. destruction. And, you know, I want to speak to anybody who might be struggling with drinking by themselves right now. And I want you to know that you do deserve a better life and you are loved Mm -hmm. and there is a way to come out of this on top. And that's why you got to keep listening to this podcast and hear (laughs) the end of this killer story. Because like, man, this woman has been quite literally through hell and back, like hell and back. And here she is where people are like, do you even get angry? Like, look at this girl. You know what I mean? Like she's absolutely glowing from ear to ear, but that wouldn't have happened if she didn't allow herself to go through what she did, forgive herself, get the time for healing, and then believe in herself to push herself in the direction that she always knew that she could so that her actions actually aligned with who she is as a person. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and that's what the big change really came from. So now she's on her own. She's going from guy to guy. And I want to know now it's like, you got to feed yourself. Like, don't you need new clothes? Like how the fuck did you pay for anything? So for a while it was, I was relying on the guys I was with, or I'd have different jobs for a short amount of time and end up getting fired because I would show up drunk or hungover, whatever. Uh, But when I was 19 and I couldn't keep a job, I kept getting fired. So I ended up um, being influenced by the friend that I had just to begin escorting at 19. And I was still drinking. (laughs) Um, And I, yeah, the first time I did it, it was just, it was a quick way to make money. Although I've, I had already been through years of detaching from my body in order to do what men wanted me to do. But this was like another level because I didn't know these people. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I needed the money and I couldn't keep a job. And I just, I just kept doing that yeah. <laughs> for a while. I did that from choice. Yeah. I did that for, I think nine months for a time. And then I feel like I took a little break and then I started again. And then right before I got sober, do you know so why you took it I, the first time? I'm trying to remember. I 
I feel like I might have gotten a, a job, but I, I think I got a, I got a job at a bar. <laughs> I got a job at a bar, <laughs> although I was still drinking. And you're like, this will work out well. Yeah. So I'm like, making money and drinking is accepted. So hey. and water down their um, bottles, they'll never know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, while I was there, though, I did. Um, there was a group of guys that came in, and they ended up convincing me to go to a. a hotel party with them and escort myself again and it was just me and and a bunch of them and it was this was a couple weeks before I ended up uh, getting sober because I was just I I felt like I was landing myself in some dangerous and scary places Um, with these guys they treated me so poorly when I was there and I was sick because of all they gave me like drugs and alcohol and and they just treated me so poorly and I've I, I felt that a couple weeks before I decided to get sober I felt that it was coming to an end like something had to give something needed to change and um but how old are you at this point I was tw- I was 21 okay. I was 21 so and sorry if there's little snippets here there where okay. they're like fragmented but I know there was a time that I I lived with my parents again and it was, they told me cause I, I was out one night and I was drinking and doing a lot of, a lot of drugs. And I thought I was actually going to die. Um, and like just before then my parents had told me that I needed to like move out. I needed to kind of create my own life for myself, but I was not able to, provide for myself more than just like the alcohol and basic necessities they wanted me to like move on and be an adult and I realized um that I wasn't going to have the life that I was meant to have or achieve any kind of improvement if I kept going on the way I was and yeah it was that last night that I used, I had done a concoction of different things and I thought I was going to die. And I prayed to God that I was going to make it through that night. My girl. Cause I looked in my eyes and I could see that it was, <laughs> you see in the movies, you hear people say, it's like, I saw the look in my eyes and I woke up, but that's what happened to me. I saw the hollow look in my eyes yeah. and I was like, what the fuck am I doing to myself like what is this life and yeah I I pray that if I if I made it through that night that I I was gonna I was gonna change it's just some of something came to me I was like I am not gonna have the life I meant to have if I keep going this way it was like a message (laughs) I don't even know if it was from me or where it came from but it woke me up and and I ended up um I ended up reaching out to a friend uh, a girl that I know that I ended up getting sober that I used to use with and yeah. I got in I got into rehab shortly shortly after that <laughs> oh my um, gosh my girl yeah. like I am just <laughs> so grateful that you are here to be able to tell this story and you know like the ins that's why I wanted you on here so much is that you know you haven't told your story a lot and it, I firmly believe it's time for you because your story is what is going to absolutely continue to be a leader in this industry and to be able to transform so many people's lives honestly you know like I know that so many people who have been on drugs know that feeling of looking at yourself in the mirror and wondering what the fuck is going on anymore right mm-hmm. and 
Like, who am I? <laughs> what is who this? am I? Exactly. Who is this yeah. person? It's disgusting looking back at yourself. Mm-hmm. It's like you don't even recognize who you are. But the funny part is, is that even when we have those moments, not many of us choose to not repeat the same thing anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm mm-hmm. really proud of you for listening to that voice because your whole life, you listened to a voice that said that you weren't good enough, that life was going to be hard, that you're meant to be stupid, you know, and, and in that moment where you literally could have lost your life. And like, I, I do believe in God. I firmly believe that that's God coming through strong. You know what I mean? Because it's like to have a message like that, that it's like, you can do this, you can make this change. Whereas like, Mm -hmm. you know, just a couple days prior, you were like, fuck, my parents want me to like get my own place, look, feed myself. My God, I got to wash my own underwear. You know what I mean? Like all these things are just like, this is how life actually functions. And I don't know if I can do that, which in my opinion might've even like pushed you to that concoction where that stress was so high. It was that literally determining line. And I firmly believe that your life is here for a reason. So mm-hmm. how did rehab go for you? And how old are you right now? If you don't mind me asking, I'm 32 here. Okay. Welcome to ask. I'm 32. So I cleaned up when I was 21, almost 22. So it was a couple months before I turned 22. Oh my God. So here we are 10 <laughs> years later. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so fill us yeah. in the last 10 years because I know that it wasn't just fucking linear and I know it wasn't just easy and I knew it wasn't just like you had that epiphany and you're like okay it's gonna be like just from here on out. <laughs> yeah no so it it took me about a month before I actually ended up um uh getting approved for government assistance to get into welfare so I literally locked myself at home and drank apple juice out of a wine glass <laughs> just to kind of, you know, feel like I was having something, I would only go to church, and then stay at home. And yeah, just, uh, and anyway, so I eventually got approved for welfare. And then I went straight to rehab. And oh, man, it was, it was hard when I first walked in there, because they, you know, they go through all your things, and then they kind of show you your place. And there's all these rules and all this structure. And I was like, I've, signed up for this I've mm-hmm. signed up to like surrender everything feels and like be told what the fuck to do <laughs> yeah and you're in in there with a bunch of other women who are also cleaning up too and going through their own processing oh, of different things and there was a lot of emotions yeah it's not like you're walking that. into good vibes right <laughs> no and I <laughs> I was I actually got my makeup taken away from me uh, when I was there because none of the other girls had that happen to them, but me because I was for so many years of my life, I was the type of woman that would like wake up before a guy would wake up so I could do my like makeup and oh, I would yeah. go to sleep with makeup, wake up, fix my makeup then get back into bed. Like I woke up like this. They can't <laughs> see me any other way. Right. And oh, I was my- the same in the house. I was like, nobody can see me without makeup. Oh my gosh. Like nobody will love me. No one will think I'm wow. good enough. And they took my makeup away from me. And I wanted to leave because this was my mask. This was like what I held on to to feel good enough, not even good enough, but decent enough to be seen in public, really. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was like my identity was that mask that I had. And oh man, I wanted to leave, but I I went to a meeting and a meeting that had like, over a hundred people. It was in New Westminster, we're like the recovery wow. capital of the world. It's a huge meeting with no makeup. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And then somebody asked me out. I didn't go out with them, but um, I wasn't allowed, but that's okay. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. Like people actually think <laughs> like, I look good without makeup. Me. 
<laughs> right and now I'm like I wear no makeup most of the time but um but good job that. girl uh yeah so I was at this recovery house for about two and a half months though and then I ended up getting kicked out because I ended up getting a little too close with another person that was in the house sure. trying to escape all the discomfort of going through the 12 steps and not of wanting course. to feel my feelings um so I ended up getting kicked out I could have just gone home yeah. But then I was like, no, I still need more help. So then I ended up transferring directly to another one that was willing to take me in. Good job. I was there for about seven and a half months nice. or seven months around there. I ended up getting kicked out of that one too. Shut but the I never door. <laughs> so I did a bit of the same thing at the next house and was also um, trying to schedule meetings with this guy at meetings that the house wanted me to stay away from or the staff and anyways I was just refusing to listen to the rules I did great in my 12-step work but it was this lesson I needed to learn outside of the house on my own yeah so I got kicked out and but I, I didn't relapse I was just really sad there for a while <laughs> Sure. But I, I, I was like, I didn't do all this work for nothing. So I kept going to meetings and, and um, for at least another few years there, I still kept going to meetings. So, um, but yeah, the 12 step work really had me dive into my own um, different resentments I'd held in, in, in my heart and, and noticing my part in different things that had happened too. not excusing what anyone else did, but acknowledging that, I've made mistakes and, and harmed people in my life too. And, and that I played a role in going back to some of these people too, that, that I had been so angry with for, for quite some time. And yeah, there was just a lot of internal, a lot of reflection on um, just different beliefs I had and also surrendering to a higher power, really learning to start believing and letting a higher power guide me. Cause I'd been doing it my own way for so long and it wasn't working so well. No, <laughs> so. I know that's the way that we pave ourselves never is too yeah. straight. Is it? Um, mm -hmm. So what I'm wondering then is that, so when it comes to um, you finding, cause throughout what you learned in rehab was that you were mm -hmm. still struggling with that self-love because you were still mm -hmm. trying to build those relationships in other ways. Like you said, you went back to a couple of the uh, older people that you maybe shouldn't have. So where was the defining moment where you're like, this is it. I make my boundaries and this is me choosing me and to love me. Like where did that self-love journey? Cause you did bits and pieces along the way, but where was that mm -hmm. big transformation? Yeah, so that was actually within the last couple years. So um, because between rehab and a couple years ago, like I was still, I was still hanging around men that weren't good for me, even though I wasn't drinking and doing drugs. I was still I had, like gambling addiction, like, shopping addiction, like all sorts of things. And addiction runs in it, so many more ways. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you like close the door on one, but it'll keep manifesting in other areas. And it was like over exercise and obsession with like right? numbers for a while. And Anorexia. holy hell, it was just like a prison being inside my mind in my body for so long. But it was a couple years ago, actually. I and I, I, I'd met guys who were good and kind before, although part like 
I didn't feel worthy of them and I would do anything I could to kind of push them away, make them see that I was too much for them and that they were just going to figure it out eventually. So let me just show them how crazy I am and and that I'm unstable. (laughs) Let me, let me push them away. Even though I want to be with somebody kind and good. It's almost like a safety and security tactic, right? Yeah, absolutely. It was like, I want better, but I, I, I'm not, I can't accept better because they're going to find out that I'm not the potential that they think or I'm not the woman that they believe I am. <laughs> you know, I oh, didn't real. see myself as a good person worthy of love. Um, a couple of years ago, I left another really toxic, abusive relationship with, um, it wasn't physically abusive, but it was abusive in ways that are a little more subtle. Um, there was a lot of like manipulation and control. And when I left that relationship after being in a state of like, fight or flight for most of my life, but especially the year and a half that I was with him, I was like, I'm never doing this again. I don't know what exactly I do want, but I know that it's not that. I refuse to keep, I refuse to be told who to be. I refuse to be scared anymore, to let somebody have that much power over me that I feel like I've turned into like a mute or that I can't express myself, Mm -hmm. that I'm not safe. So leaving him in a way, even though it took me four tries to finally leave, I I started to, uh, I don't want to say appreciate myself more, but I started to maybe like myself a little more. Like something in me was like, okay, you're starting to be better to yourself. You could see your <laughs> saying worth coming no more. It's like, no, I deserve this, right? Instead of jumping yeah. to the old mindset habits of destruction, destruction, destruction. Yeah, absolutely. And I... Um, there was a short time there where I hung out with a couple different guys on like once for each of them. And then I was just like, oh, I can't do this anymore. Like something in me was like, I'm done with giving myself to people that I don't feel good with. My body was like, no more. (laughs) No, not no more. (laughs) Yeah. There was like a time I even hung out with a couple people where I didn't do anything because something in me was just like, no, absolutely. (laughs) So it was just finally I started to like absolutely have enough and like everything on in every level of me was just repelled by that way of living anymore. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I met, I met Steven who I've been with now for, for over two years. He and I met on a dating app originally okay. and we, <laughs> we were going to just hang out and, I don't know, but we, and I really enjoyed his company. He enjoyed mine. I enjoyed his, and he has such a calming energy. And with, he told me that I surprised him because the way I seemed online was very different than how I was in person. I was still kind of presenting myself, like showing my body a lot more and thinking my worth was in my appearance, but he saw like he felt he told me I was smart. Oh, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yes. I was like, are, are you sure? Did I hear that right? <laughs> and he he started to the way he spoke to me and how safe I felt with him, like I could yes. finally exhale mm. and and just be. And that he appreciated, like he told me he loved how I looked without makeup on. And all these things that I just was not used to. And yes, I was wow. like, okay, hey, this, ha- this can't be real. This is real life. But it felt real. Yeah. Um, and- I know it's real because of how smitten you were just bringing up his name. It's <laughs> like you were just like I in your shoulder so like, oh, Stephen, yeah. right? And it's just like anybody <laughs> who can't, right? Who can't see her yeah, right now. After a couple years, too, from ear to ear. 
really like yeah well the thing is every other relationship i've had there was a whole bunch of breakups and get back together break up back together I to say i live for the honeymoon phase like i couldn't envision yeah. ever having a consistent and healthy relationship and growing and learning to, and evolve together totally. but because it is he, that's, it's evolving together absolutely and and communicating through things and recognizing that it's okay if i speak up and say i don't like something or i don't mm-hmm. something this way or i want something a different way or i express my wants and needs and my opinions and the way my experiences, my feelings, yeah. <laughs> just feeling safe to do that. And I don't want to say that people need to be with somebody in order to find their worth as you know, people are, are can definitely find their worth in other ways. Absolutely. But for me, um, I started to find my worth before I met him, mm-hmm. but being with him, he, he saw, in me what I didn't see in myself and when he told me I was smart for some reason that like flipped a switch on me (laughs) I am smart man your whole life you've had people talk down to you you know what I mean tell you what you're not capable of they've controlled Mm -hmm. you in ways where you weren't able to be like yourself and then you felt like the only thing that you could control was like putting on your makeup and so you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. I'm so proud of you for realizing that no these changes came before Steven but if you wouldn't have made those changes you would have just pushed him away like every other good guy that you came across before then and I'm just proud of you because hearing somebody say something to you is one thing but actually believing it is another so like I could tell you that you're smart and you could be like oh fuck whatever yeah I'm still stupid right but instead mm-hmm. you're like, it's the way that he said it. It was probably the way that he was looking at your eye. Like the, like mm-hmm. he was so genuine in the way that he, that yeah. you knew that this wasn't just smoke up your ass. You know what I mean? Yeah. And- His energy was such a contrast from what I was used to. And I was in a place where I wanted and was willing and open to accept better. And you I know, think it that it's, it's not <laughs> that you were finding your worth in him. What I think it is, is it's mm-hmm. important to be surrounded by good people, period. That's mm-hmm. all that it is, is that you need to make sure that you have people around you that listen to you, that believe in you, you know, that speak positive things in your life. Like when I have friends that speak something over to me, I something over me, I am like, thank you so much for speaking that over my life. You have no idea how much power that has, like that creates momentum in this world and people don't realize how powerful that is. And so I, I just Mm -hmm. wanted to reiterate as to why I know that you didn't uh, find your worth in him and that, you Mm -hmm. know, it really is just so important for you to have people around you that love you for you and believe in you. So now you have been up to amazing things over the last couple of years. Like she decided to take a three months off this winter and go to Thailand. <laughs> um, and then working on all of these certifications, bringing together the full picture of how you can help other people. And that's how I want to close off this podcast is mm-hmm. what are you getting up to right now? How can you help other people? And did your story align this as a career for you? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I always knew that I wanted to help people, <laughs> but I didn't know exactly what way until I had experienced hypnotherapy. And then shortly after, like I experienced so, like such a transformation with hypnotherapy and shortly after a program was just like came into my life. So um, I'll just kind of go into a little bit of like the last, the last year. Um, so I, I started seeing a chiropractor for a lot of pain that I was in yeah. and, and he was assigning me different stretches to do that were 
not so fun. It was like 30 seconds here, 30 seconds there, yeah. blah, blah, blah. It wasn't really like, it didn't feel fun or good or anything <laughs> or calming really. So I started doing yoga and then right after that, I quit nicotine cold turkey. I'd had been chewing nicotine like nonstop for nine years and nice girl. felt like I felt a little, a little crazy there for a while. And I decided to meditate to try and calm my mind. Nice. And during meditation, I would hear what was going on in my head. I was still being like really not nice to myself. I noticed it finally. And um, so I went and saw a hypnotherapist and she actually helped me have a lot more positive dialogue about myself and, and see potential for my life. And oh, I just want to add within, in there too that, that people don't realize that they're not talking good to themselves unless they slow down and listen. You know, we really yeah. don't. Really I was like, well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. As soon as I paused, I was like, so that's why I'm still angry. That's why I've been cranky there for or angry honestly, for so long. I was like, I'm not nice to myself. I could hear the mean voices in my head of how I was putting myself down. And, um, yeah, when I saw the hypnotherapist, she really helped me. And a few months later, an opportunity to sign up for this program that had hypnotherapy, life and success coaching, EFT, NLP, and time techniques just came about at the same time as a mindset development Bob Proctor study program was presented within a couple of days to me. And I ended up signing up for both of them. And I... I was like, I knew that the mindset program would help me shift my own um, mindset, obviously, and it would complement the skills and techniques that I was learning to help others. So, and I can just incorporate all of it in helping others. So, yeah, I knew as soon as those programs came up, I was like, "This is what I'm meant to do." This, yes, I, I, it just felt so right, and I was so excited because oh. <laughs> I knew I wanted to help people, but it's, I knew I wanted to maybe do hypnotherapy, but as soon as that program came to be, yes. And I, I, oh my gosh, I fed my brain so much information in a short amount of time. And I am a new person. <laughs> I'm like, my family and different people are like, who are you? <laughs> but in a are. good way. Oh, I'm so yeah. happy to hear that. And that's the thing is, I'm sure that your parents are so proud of, of looking mm-hmm. at you now and how far you've come and being able to use your story in a way that impacts other people and to be at a point mm-hmm. in your life where you put in that work, you know, hun. And I just, yeah. I really want to congratulate you on that because that's the hard part of life that nobody likes to fucking deal with. That's why most people are mm-hmm. stuck in their own bullshit is because nobody likes to do the work to propel themselves forward, but they just always love to complain that they're not enough. Their life isn't enough, blah, right. blah, 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 blah. But nobody wants to do the fucking work. So yeah. cheers to you for putting in that work. I seriously, guys, if you're listening to this podcast, you need to go see a picture of this girl you need to <laughs> see how she glows because she is outshining me on this damn zoom right now. That's oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but no it's so uh, we shine in together, girl. <laughs> so um, great to see the happiness radiate because it's so genuine. Like I can just feel it. And you. the way that you speak, like free. that is exactly yeah. what I'm getting from you. And I'm so grateful mm-hmm. that you get that freedom. And now you get to teach other people that freedom too. So yeah. if people want to get in touch with you, where can they reach you? And we want to know a little bit more about how you are able to help people overall. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I will be starting June 1st, uh, 2022 at the Conscious Mind Clinic. I actually manifested this opportunity through meditation. It was amazing. So excited. 
Um, so I will be, I'll be like coaching and offering hypnotherapy and using different techniques that I've learned to help people shift their mindset and step into the identity of the person um, that can have or that will have the things that they desire and believe that they can because I so firmly believe that if I can change as much as I have and go from not believing in myself, completely disliking myself to thinking that my potential is unlimited as is anyone else's. I, I so know it's purpose to help others uh, believe in themselves. And that is what I want to help others do. So um, yeah, I'll be at conscious mind clinic and you can check out the website and my Instagram page is sincere love foundation coaching. I'll be creating a foundation in the near future. And yeah, I just want to help people change their lives because <laughs> if I can do it, I believe anyone can. I couldn't agree more. And you know what, guys, I'm going to tag everything in the show notes here so that you can connect with Shannon. She's so much fun to just chat with on regular life to life. So make sure you go follow her content no matter what. And, you know, Shannon, we want to know how long has it been since you've been sober? Uh, since August 25th, 2011. So I would say... <laughs> like 10 and a half years. <laughs> We're almost at 11 years and I genuinely am so proud of you. That is such a milestone. Thank and you. it just, it's, it's a way so, of life now. <laughs> that's, I don't even really so think true. about it. <laughs> I know because yeah. you start forgetting once you start getting to those milestones, you know, it goes from, from remembering your, your sobriety birthday every month to then it's like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh shit. It's already every been another day. year. Right. And, <laughs> yeah, and it does. It's like 333 days. <laughs> like, I'm like 13 months. <laughs> and like, and right? now it's like, Oh, it's just my normal life now. And it's, I yeah. would never, I never, ever regretted that decision. Honestly, it's the best decision I ever made. I would not have the life I have now without clearing that and out of my system in order to make these changes. Well, and if there is anybody who's struggling with addiction, struggling with self-love right now, I want you to leave them with one saying at the end of this podcast of, of how they can believe in themselves and propel themselves forward. Absolutely. Yeah. So I know that it is challenging with that when we're conditioned to believe that we are one way and that we don't have the potential and that we are incapable of change. But recognizing that these beliefs about ourselves, we didn't start with these. These are conditioned. They are learned from our surroundings, um, from the people that we're around, from media or or friendships, relationships. We can unlearn those things and and replace them with truths about who we are and about um, just our potential and and tune in to the person that we want to become and, and make that happen. It takes consistency. It takes work. But that's where the joy from achievement and accomplishment comes. It's not easy, but it's freaking worth it. And I encourage anyone <laughs> to believe in themselves and go after their dreams and know that there, there's absolutely so much potential for all of us. That's beautiful. And you guys heard it from Shannon first. So thank you so much again for your time. I had so much fun chatting with you on this podcast and we wish you nothing but success with your new business and with your continued sobriety. Um, So thank Yeah, absolutely. And thank you listeners for tuning into another episode. And you know that I will catch you next fucking Monday. And that's another honest episode dropped. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to Naked in Truth, where we come together every Monday morning to set the week off with intention. 
don't forget to head over to our Instagram page at Naked and Truth Podcast to stay up to date on future episodes, guest speakers, and other kick-ass info that can help you continue to create your impact. And you know that reviews are so valuable when it comes to building a community of like-minded people. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please, please, please drop some love on Apple Podcast Reviews and share this episode with someone who you think needs it. Thank you guys so much again for tuning in to today's episode. I'll catch you next Monday. And don't forget, love always wins.